0: Joshua Medcalf is the author of many books, including Pound the Stone, Hustle, Burn Your Goals, and of course, the fantastic book we'll be discussing, Chop Wood, Carry Water. Joshua, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you guys for having me. I'm really excited and grateful to get to be here tonight.
0: Cool. Well, the book tells the story of John, a person who wants to learn how to be a samurai archer. He goes to Japan to study under a renowned sensei, and he's disappointed when he finds that his first and most common task is to chop wood and carry water. Can you explain why something so mundane, um, and maybe not even directly um, applied to like his goal of archery, is so important?
1: Well, the phrase chop wood, carry water has been around for a really long time, and it, I think, originated in the Buddhist philosophy, and the whole premise behind chop wood, carry water is that, you know, No matter what's going on around you, whether you're up 20 or down 20, you're focused on your process and being the very best that you can be in that moment. And so you chop wood, carry water no matter what, and it's learning how to really focus on the process of becoming great, and if you focus on that process, then oftentimes the results will eventually take care of themselves sometimes that eventually is you know not as quick as we would like and the eventually is always different for everyone but the the aspect of chopping wood carry water applies to you know so many different facets of life and whatever our you know for him it was you know chopping wood and carrying water you know for each of us it's it's different but it's really getting down to those basics fundamentals and things that we actually have control over instead of focusing on goals and lots of things that are actually outside of our control really trying to focus all of our energy towards things that are 100% controllable
0: And another concept you mentioned is, uh, and you give a cool analogy in the story about uh, building your own house. Um, I guess, how are we doing that in our day-to-day lives? How are we building our own house?
1: Yeah. So I think that we're all building our own house and it's something that I wish I would have understood whenever I was much younger. And, you know, I was predominantly stuck in a fixed mindset growing up and constantly trying to prove myself. And, really you know i would use maybe some of the growth mindset strategies but it was still always getting back to it the root of trying to prove myself and be good enough and and so um you know what i've come to realize is that the the truth of the matter is that it's not about you know a volleyball match it's not about um, you know, a test score. It's not about any one of these individual achievements that that seem really important in the moment. What it's really about is it's about the character that we build in and through that thing and that that's the house based off the accumulation of all of our little choices on the day-to-day. And that's the house that we're going to live in. And that's the house that our family's going to live in. And those choices that we make, that impacts... Um, that house that we live in.
2: It was in Chapter 8, you talk about identity, and there's a line I really like. It's, your value comes from who you are and not from what you do. And that really hit home with me because as a coach and athlete, it's it's so easy to, to judge yourself on on your results. And I, I guess I'm, I'm wondering, how do we avoid this when, when the scoreboard is so clear um, after a match?
1: Yeah, it's it's really, really challenging to... Um, avoid that but I think it, it really comes down to an understanding of of your identity and, and who you actually are and we live in a society that wants us to and spends a lot of energy and resources and time on getting us to fall for that myth that our value comes from what we do and instead of who we are but there's I think that we all know when you get towards your deathbed or when somebody's gone and something, you know, tragic happens, we all know that, like, life is precious. And, um, you know, for me personally, I believe that, you know, God created each and every one of us meticulously and perfectly for a purpose. And um, and then one step further, he sent his son to die for us. And so if he sent his son to die for each and every one of us individually, then that means that our lives are inherently priceless, and so with that being you know, said, like it doesn't, you know, at the end of the day, like the scoreboard isn't what dictates our value. The um, scoreboard might show us that we need to retire. The scoreboard might show us that we need to work harder. The scoreboard might show us a lot of stuff. It's not that we ignore the scoreboard completely, um, but it's just a data point. It's just a data point that we're observing in the process and um and you know when i go and speak a lot what i'll do is i i go to home depot and i'll buy about 10 feet of like really thick chain and i start off almost every talk wrapping that around my neck and i'm like look if you believe the myth that your value comes from what you do instead of who you are you're going to try and do life with this big heavy chain wrapped around your neck there's nobody that's going to perform better with that wrapped around their neck and so i tell them like what today is really about is getting this big heavy weight off of your shoulders and if you can learn to live in that truth that your value comes from who you are and not from what you do you get to take that chain off and then you get to be freed up to be in the moment and trust your training and actually come close to fulfilling your potential but none of us are going to do that if we're believing that lie and keeping that chain wrapped around our neck it's just just impossible. So, it's just so important that we actually live in that truth of understanding that our value comes from who we are and not from what we do and, you know, that's a matter of finding perspective and you know that can come from, you know, like my little brother has cerebral palsy. He can't walk, talk or feed himself. And so like getting around him always gives me perspective. And he loves sports, <laughs> but it just getting around people like that and you know, I've just had a strange life that I would never wish upon anybody else but you know when I was you know nine years old my baby brother drowned and I was the one that pulled him out of the pool and then I lost a coach at 14 to prison I lost another coach at 15 to prison I lost my dad at 22 and like I just I experienced so much trauma as a child that I had a lot of perspective just kind of (laughs) beating me over the head and I watched my dad go from you know we were incredibly poor growing up, and he grew up in a trailer park where he had duct tape his trailer together, a single parent home, and literally had to you know fight his way back across the railroad tracks every day with his brother, and, and then he became one of the most successful eye surgeons in Oklahoma. Yet at 49, when he was diagnosed with terminal cancer, he'd had all these achievements in his life. He epitomized the American dream, and yet... I saw him get diagnosed with terminal cancer and it dramatically changed the way that he lived. And so I kind of made this promise to myself at 23, don't wait until you get diagnosed with terminal cancer to keep first things first, to put first things first, to you know understand your value and where it comes from and, and just that healthier perspective of like, we're all going to die and it's just so easy to get caught up in you know that rat race of achieve 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 and you know i talk about it in there like with the the whole kobe bryant issue of like (laughs) well if five didn't do it kobe what is six gonna do like um and i have immense amounts of respect for him and his work ethic and he's one of the greatest to ever play the game but like if you if you didn't get filled up from the first five expecting to get filled up from number six like it just it just doesn't make any sense and it just reminds me a little bit of you know Francis Chan and when he said you know our greatest fear should not be of failure but it should be of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter and there are so many things in life that really do matter and sport is, has so much power but i think that what we want to do is take back the transformational power of sport of business of just life in general and the way that we do that is by focusing on something like true mental toughness and controllables. That then we can use whatever hard, challenging thing we're going through as an opportunity to develop more of that character, to build more of our house the way we want, you know, a house to live in. And um, instead of getting, you know, getting caught up in you know, focusing on just the scoreboard and things that, again, it's not that they don't matter at all. It's just that those things are very secondary. And there are there are so many things that really matter. And, and we know that by looking at people who are at the end of their life, or people who have been through near death experiences. And and we just know you do the obituary exercise, I do that a, a ton, especially with people in leadership and have them write their own obituary and it's like live from this perspective live looking at the end not you know the way that everybody says of oh what's your dream okay now let's let's map backwards is everything that you're doing map towards your dream like i, I don't know i may, maybe that will be helpful maybe it most likely won't a lot of people get their quote unquote dream and they're like ah oh, this wasn't actually my dream to begin with but if you will go On my deathbed, am I going to be able to have peace? Am I going to be able to say, you know, I lived my truth. I, you know, I left no stone unturned. I, you know, is uh, a friend of mine just wrote a book called The Last Arrow. You know, like, am I going to be able to to finish well and have finished empty? And I think that that's a lot more important than um, the score
2: of any individual match or game or tournament. I want to try that obituary thing. I'm going to have to mess around with that. I like that idea. Um, I was wondering, and thanks for sharing your backstory, like hearing about your trauma. It's, uh, it's good to get to know you better and I appreciate that. Um, I'm wondering how much that affected building your house. And do you think that's an important component of like building a strong house, going through things like that?
1: Yeah. Um, I think it's given me incredible perspective on life, it also makes my life uh, a lot more challenging in certain ways. Um, I I didn't realize it at the time. It wasn't until probably, I think it was about five years ago, I was working with a, a person in coaching, and they had a, a really traumatic experience that they went through. And I think that they were in their 40s at this time. And they got PTSD from the experience. And all of a sudden, it was like, if this little thing... And it felt really insignificant compared to pulling your baby brother out of the pool at nine years old. I was like, if this little event can cause this adult to get PTSD... And that PTSD can scar your brain. What happened to my brain as a nine-year-old? And all of a sudden, I was able to start piecing together, like, oh, maybe this is why, like, I've always been really different. And, like, you know, when everybody's always said, like, why are you so difficult? Like, I was trying to process stuff that no kid should ever be processing. And so that trauma then, you know, most likely gave me some form of manic depression that i still battle with a lot and um so it's it's a it's a double-edged sword it it's allowed me to do stuff it's allowed me to have impact it allows me to oftentimes sit down with people from a wide variety of backgrounds that maybe don't look like me or you know have have come from a place that looks different from me and I'm actually able to connect with them because of the crazy experiences I've had in my life Um, but it but it's really weird so so yeah I guess it's helped me to build a cool house but in certain ways it's got cracks in the foundation and struggles that are that are very very real for me today um, you know, I did a podcast with Mary Kay yesterday, and I, I I kept saying over and over again, please don't put me on a pedestal. I have just as many challenges as the next person. Um, part of the life experiences that I've had and my work ethic and the way I see the world has allowed me to become really, really good at a few things. But there's lots of stuff that I struggle with, you know, Probably more so than the next person. Mm-hmm. So
2: you're still building your
1: own house. Absolutely. That is a that is a journey that I will be on for a uh, for a very long time.
2: Yeah. So, uh, so uh, yeah, bring yeah, bringing us back, back to the book in uh, chapter nine, you have a great, great line. Another great line. Under, under pressure, pressure you, don't you don't rise to the occasion. occasion. You sink you to the level of your, your training. training. Uh, and uh, I think, I think a, lot a lot of the athletes, athletes I've been around think it's so okay to slack off today because they'll go hard tomorrow. In quotations, when it matters. Do you think, you think the idea, idea of being, being a gamer, gamer is something that's possible?
1: I do. I hate admitting it, mm-hmm. but I do. Jordan Canada is a gamer. I don't know if you know who she is, no. but she's our starting point guard at UCLA. Okay. She's changed my views on that. However, I still ask her <laughs> and work with her on you know, um, what would it look like if you raised your level of training and pushed yourself as hard as you do in games um, as you do in training and to her credit over the last three years she has grown immensely in those areas but she is who convinced me that you actually can flip a switch and I and I and I did know it because I have a little bit of that as well Um, but I I still think that it's the the real magic comes whenever you have whatever that is. So for example, mine's a little bit more on stage. The bigger the stage, the more people in the audience, the brighter the lights, the better version of me that actually comes out. I don't know why that is it just kind of is and I've worked really hard at my craft and speaking and you know four years ago I may have crapped my pants but um, but I do think, And believe that there are some people that are gamers more so than others my wish hope for those people is and I've I tell a lot of them this is that like what if you're only scratching like one tenth of your potential (laughs) like and so it's it's more about your potential and, and so that's the whole chop wood carry water thing of like I don't care if you're up 20 or I don't care if you you know are averaging a triple double like what if you could average a you know, something higher than that? I don't know what the terminology is, but you know, what if you could have forty, 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 and forty, like and but you've never come close because you've never actually put in the training to get to that point. But she literally has pretty much single handedly shown me that it it is possible for some people to have that
2: switch. And I would I would imagine people like that, I think they get to a spot, like maybe that works in high school or in college, but there's going to be a level where like, y- your best is just as good as everyone else. So you have to, you can't plateau. You've got to find a way to like continue to push, but I think it's coaches don't want to hear that, that there's gamers. They want to think we, we have all this control about making them play as well as they can if they work hard in practice. But it's good to hear reality. Cause yeah. Really hard. And, it, and yeah. I
1: think that that's one thing that I've learned the more that I have been in this business and the more that I work with just a a lot more people, I've started to to realize that there are a lot of exceptions and maybe, you know, one thing works a little bit better for one group of people and, you know, it, it doesn't work as, as well for others. I've, been, I've become a lot more flexible in the last couple of years. I was probably a little more rigid, you know, seven, eight, nine years ago. But yeah, I I definitely think that there are kids like that and I know how frustrating it is. It's frustrating for me seeing it um with the kids that I work with or with the clients that I work with and but but yeah it's it's always the potential question. It's not about the the individual outcomes, it's are you coming close to tapping into your greatest potential.
0: Yeah, and another concept I really liked from the book was the surrender to the outcome. I guess can you explain uh, what that means and how it actually can help our chances of success?
1: Yeah, so it's it's actually probably one of my favorite things that I've ever written, and I'll try and summarize the the quote. But the sensei is talking to John, and he tells him that you know the the greatest piece of wisdom that was ever shared with him was that um, that this that that control is basically a a a big illusion in that we we can't control as much stuff as we think that we can control and that at the end of the day the the person that you want beside you in battle is actually the person that has surrendered the outcome because if you haven't surrendered the outcome then you're trying to control stuff that's outside of your control and you actually oftentimes end up increasing the likelihood of getting the outcome that you don't want because you haven't surrendered it. So like the guy in battle that you want beside you is the guy that surrendered to the fact that he might die. And that guy is actually freed up to trust his training, to react, to be at his best. Things are going to more slow down for him. But if you are worried about dying, if you're trying to control not dying, then in many ways you're getting in your your own way. And so again, it's, you know, it's this paradoxical idea of in order to actually be at your best, or in order to win more, in order to come closer to fulfilling your potential, you have to surrender those outcomes. And surrendering the outcome doesn't mean that you don't care. It doesn't mean that it's like this laissez-faire, oh, well, just whatever. But it's, it's surrendering the things that are outside of your control and most of the time we are are in our human nature we get caught up in trying to control all the stuff that's outside of our control instead of focusing all our energy on the stuff that's inside of our control and it's more than just attitude and effort that's the one you know what are the two things you control attitude and effort it's like well you can control a a lot more than that and maybe you can't you don't have 100 percent control but you have more control than anybody else when it comes to you know your self talk your visualization you know what you're reading what you're watching who you're surrounding yourself with your attitude your perspective the way you talk to teammates your posture um, you know there's there's so many things we list off I think twenty or twenty five in in the book that are that are actually closer to one hundred percent under your control and so it's focusing our energy on those things instead of focusing our energy on the refs or our teammates or our our coaches or, you know, the wind and the environment or the bad lie or the bad call and and just focusing all of that energy on what we have under our control and simultaneously using that experience to develop the character that we want to develop so that we can become more the type of person that that we want to become through that process.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. I definitely, I mean, it's kind of a sports cliche that we like – you know, the team had nothing to lose. I feel like that's what it feels like when that the team has surrendered it; they're freer to play. And I know we've ex- I've experienced it where if you are the favorite, it's almost like you should win. It's almost important. it's embarrassing if we lose this team, and all of a sudden the outcome becomes you are worried about that while you are playing, and it definitely hamstrings you and stuff. So, yeah, I really like that concept.
2: And going off more things you can't control as another thing from the book, I, th- I think it's really. Uh, he- in human nature to compare yourself to others i know I, I do it all the time and uh in the book you say comparison is the thief of all joy and another great line the grass is greener where you water it um, i guess i'm wondering why 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 is comparison the thief of all joy
1: well i mean i i think going back to what you talked about earlier of that you're always going to reach a level where somebody is faster stronger better you know I don't care if you're the the best athlete in the world, you know. If you're LeBron James, like there's a certain level that you get to, where you know he's only won what one out of the last three, <laughs> and so you know, and, and yeah, there's lots of you know factors that play into that. But even him, I, I think that you saw a pretty significant flip after they lost to Dallas, where he kind of went from being a kid, in my opinion. To becoming a grown man, and his work ethic, his dedication to the process shifted dramatically that summer uh, after he I think it was like he didn't leave his room for like three weeks and I think that he finally hit that wall of like my my talent skill, you know everything that he'd built up to that point in the combination of uh, factors had only gotten him so far and it was like if i'm going to get to the next level if i'm going to come closer to fulfilling my potential then it's going to have to be um through this path
0: can you talk a little bit about uh what we desire the path the mastery to to feel like versus what in reality how it works
1: yes we would we would love the path to mastery to be like a microwave that we just you know type it in and 30 seconds later, two minutes later, out pops uh, out pops the meal that we want. We want the path to mastery to be linear. We want it to be if I do A, I'm going to get B. We want it to be this step by step process. Um, but but more often than not, it it actually feels like you know two steps forward, five steps back, one step forward, two steps back, three steps forward, one step back. And, you know, we've got a, 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 graph in the book that is, you know, it's this, it's this growth spurt and then it's a, it's a dip and then it's a long plateau. and, Um, But oftentimes what it feels like is, you know, uh, just a squiggly line going all over the place. And that if you're actually in the trenches, pursuing mastery in any endeavor, that more often than not, that's what it's going to feel like. And it's an incredibly frustrating feeling. But that's the beauty of actually falling in love with the process and the journey. And, And I think that if if we're doing those things that we really care about and that we're really passionate about that that is that's what's going to keep us going that we really do love the mastery of it I mean there's two things right now that I spend a pretty significant amount of time on every year which is golf and snowboarding and I don't get any money <laughs> to do those things but I love them and it's the mastery of it. And, you know, sometimes people ask me, they're like, you know, do you play in in golf tournaments? And like, no, I don't play in golf tournaments. But I still like beat on my craft with golf, like there's just something about that mastery. And, um, and I also think that it's important for me, if I'm in a position of leadership, if I'm not doing that in some capacity, it's very easy for me to lose perspective. And the further I get away from my playing career in soccer, the more that I go, oh, you know, why aren't you guys getting this? And you should be figuring this out quicker. And, you know, why are you being lazy? And and it, and it the truth is that when you're on the path to mastery, it's really, really hard. <laughs> it is so hard. And so it's easy to forget that if you're not in the trenches. I can't tell you how many practices I've been at um, with coaches that are yelling at their kids, you know, doing sprints. And I kind of want to stop and be like, when's the last time you sprinted? And when's the last time you had your attitude checked whenever you were at the point of exhaustion? And like, it's just, it's, it's just a lot harder if you're not beating on your own craft. That's, I, you know, didn't know that about you guys coming into this, but that's what I think is amazing of both of you, you know, still playing that. I think that that's a lot more real to you. Because you know how hard it is and it gives you a lot more patience and empathy, which is always going to make us better leaders. It's always going to help us connect more with people if we're actually in the trenches.
2: Yeah, I sometimes go back and forth with that. Like I definitely feel like I empathize more. But then sometimes I worry like I'm am I not pushing them hard enough because I know I know what they feel like. Like, yeah, oh, well, maybe I won't do one more sprint because I, I know how painful it is. And so it's like that fine line of making sure you're still pushing them hard enough. But I think athletes definitely appreciate that when I can tell stories from my failures and my experiences. I think that goes a lot further than, than anything else. So, yeah. I think, sorry, one more thought. It's, I think coaches should feel the same way. Like You can get better as a coach, so we should be in the trenches too. Like We should be pushing ourselves to learn and get better just as the athletes are. And I think that can be a path to mastery that's ugly and all over the place too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I just think that there should be some aspect of physical mastery in physical skill because yes it is it's i absolutely want people in coaching to be really intentional about growing and and beating on that craft but it's there's just something different when it's a a physical skill Uh, you know one of the people that we've been in the trenches with for a long time she coaches women's college golf and um, my best friend and business partner Jamie asked her to start working on her golf game again and she believes and we believe that that's made her a much better coach (laughs) because it's just so easy and especially for some of us you know I'm a a pretty driven um, and despite oftentimes what I write oftentimes what I write is like me talking to myself and the hard lessons that I've had to learn, but my um, you know, typical way of processing the world is is the opposite. So like I, you know, all growing up it was results, results, results and, you know, I'm about as competitive as they come. If that if we're playing, you know, a game of of cards, I've been called, you know, a competitive freak over, you know, non monetary (laughs) card games with families and, and things like that. And I've been like that for a long time and and so I think that it's very easy for those of us that are really driven, you know, especially some that are even more type A, to um, just forget how how hard it is and how challenging it is and, and lack some of that patience and empathy with people. It's like, I taught you this. Why why don't you get this? We 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 talked about this last week. And then the ironic part is I'm like, yeah, we talked about this too. And now you're back doing the same thing <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that we just talked about last week. Like, and, and so it's just, you know, it's, it's tricky, but yeah. I think it's helpful.
2: I think it is too. Um, so, uh, yeah, I guess I'm wondering what the difference is between goals and a mission. And if you think we should have goals.
1: I absolutely unequivocally think that we should burn our goals. I think that goals are the most laughable thing to me in the world. I've read many places that the Harvard study that everybody points to of the guys that had goals and didn't is complete BS and it didn't actually happen. Um, But more importantly than that, you look at Daniel Pink's research and that goal setting and goals can actually increase nefarious activity. Uh, Once again, it it gets us focused on the, the wrong stuff and stuff that's outside of our control. It's also laughable in the sense that, you know, take the Pac-12, for example. What team is sitting around going, you know what, I hope that we, uh, you know, our goal this year is to be, have the worst goals against average, or our, you know, goal this year is to going to be to be 12th in, you know, in rebounding, and nobody does that. Everybody sets the exact same goals. You know, it's to be in the in the top percentage of here and to 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 win the Pac-12 championship and to go to the NCAA tournament. And it's like goal setting is doing nothing, absolutely nothing. What's important and, you know, what I what I really, when this really clicked for me was I had a kid that played in the Pac-12 that sent me her goals. She texted them to me and I was just so sick and tired of it because it's like people get high off of goal setting. And I'm like, do you still believe in Santa Claus? No. So stop believing that goal setting is going to actually mean something for you. And so I I just, I texted her back and I was like, I want you to burn those. She was like, what? Everybody's told me that, you know, the key to achieving my potential is goal setting. And I was like, no, I'm not interested in your wish list. I'm interested in what are you willing to do inside of your 86,400 seconds every single day to close the gap between where you're at and where you want to be what are you willing to sacrifice inside of your 24 hours a day to close the gap between who you are and who you want to become what are you willing to commit to show me that that's 100 controllable and then do that focus on that goals like we don't know what we're capable of achieving maybe somebody f- fulfills their potential and you know she played golf and that means they finished 10th in the pack 12 that's awesome Maybe somebody finishes one and they weren't even coming close to tapping into their potential. So it's not getting caught up on these uncontrollable outcomes. It's focusing on commitments. It's focusing on true mental toughness, which we define as having a great attitude, giving your very, very best, treating people really, really well, having unconditional gratitude regardless of your circumstances. And we think that the thing that is way more powerful than goals is... Living a mission-driven life, and a mission is something that is controllable. And the example that we always give, that we used in chop wood, is you know somebody like Mother Teresa, who her her mission was to serve the needs of the sick and the dying. Which, if you think about that, that's kind of the mission for a lot of people in the medical field. But if you wait until somebody tells you that you're smart enough, that you're qualified enough, that you've paid enough money, that you've spent enough time in school and doing all those things to actually do the work and just actually start serving the needs of the sick and the dying. For some people, that's like 15, 20 years. For some people, they get told you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You don't have enough money. You didn't get in. And, you know, I just love how, the reason why we know who Mother Teresa is is because she was faithful to a mission. And she always told people, you know, be faithful in the small things, for it's in them that your strength lies. And whenever she would come and she would speak, people would get inspired and, you know, they would be like, oh, I want to go and, you know, serve in Calcutta and I want to serve all over the world. And she was like, just start with one, and the one in your backyard will do just fine. You don't need to go across the world. Just be faithful with the one that's in your hand. And so. For us, it's just living out that mission every single day and stop focusing on uncontrollable goals. You know, we focus on, you know, love people, serve people, provide value. That's been our mission at Train to Be Clutch from day one, love people, serve people, provide value. Now, I'll be very honest with you, there's probably quite a few people that we've interacted with who don't feel like that's, you know, how we live and that's okay. Like that's not gonna look, you know, like, the way that they want it to, we've got to figure that out for ourselves and we want to have healthy boundaries and and things like that in the process. But what we're focusing on is love people, serve people, provide value. We have control over that. And, you know, I don't have a sports psychology degree. And there's been many bumps in the road. And like I was talking to you guys about earlier, how I could have, you know, taught sports psychology at Pepperdine had I had my master's. But because I didn't write my master's thesis from Duke, then I wasn't able to teach there. And there's lots of stuff like that. There's lots of people that have said, oh, well, you know, you're not qualified to do this. And it's like, well, there's a difference between being licensed and qualified. And I've met a lot of licensed, unqualified people and so but instead of getting bogged down by that we just kept focused on we're just going to keep loving people serving people providing value and through that process you know we've been able to build a brand that has you know the reach of you know we've we've reached millions of people today because we haven't been focused on that we've just focused on love people serve people provide value and the cool thing about a mission like that like if i got arrested and sent to prison I can still love people, serve people, provide value. If Mother Teresa got arrested and sent to prison, could she still serve the needs of the sick and the dying? Absolutely. Like there is still ways. And so that's what we want to do is we want to direct our energy in those controllable ways on a mission that matters and and, and on that, that stuff that actually matters and not get hung up on the uncontrollable outcomes and goals. Yeah,
0: that's powerful. I guess if you are are just a basketball player, like you're talking to your team, what would a good mission be for, for like a team like that? Would it still be, you know, would incorporate things like love each other and stuff like that? Or what would be a good like team mission instead of if we threw away the goals?
1: Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. And, and I really try and focus on individuals for this reason, that for every individual, I think it's going to be a little bit different. And so it's really trying to tailor to those individuals what they're passionate about, their their natural giftings and skills, and the things that set their soul on fire. And it's learning how to use basketball as a vehicle, as an opportunity to to fulfill that mission in a way that, if um, like if if you you may not have noticed, but like. I don't call people basketball players, or I always try and say people in coaching or people that play basketball or people that play golf because that um, that that's so important in that identity piece and in in a mission when you if you get injured if you tear your ACL or like you get in an awful car wreck and you can never play basketball again if your goals were things that were only you know possible if you were starting or if you were playing well, then, what happens when it's all gone? What happens if it gets taken away, and what happens when it when the ball goes flat and so it's it's really about identifying those things inside of each of the individuals that um, help them figure out what they can be doing with their time and 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 that's you know I sign almost every copy of Choppewood carry water with. I hope this story encourages and inspires you to become relentless in the pursuit of what sets your soul on fire. And that's what I want individuals doing. And if we can get individuals that are all trying to fulfill their individual missions that are controllable, that are, you know, others focused, typically, you know, my friend Rory Vaden said, you know, find your uniqueness and exploit it in the service of others. And I I absolutely love that. And, you know, if we get people all moving in that direction that are all using basketball instead of being used by it, because that's what I think happens oftentimes with goals is that people are being used by their sport and that's, you know, the nefarious activities and and just stuff that it's like, is is sports actually helping us develop the character um, that we want to have, the character that's going to be, that's going to matter on our deathbed and I would argue that in, in a lot of places across America, and a lot of places that I've been, a lot of the things that that kids are learning at a really young age, it, it, sports are not developing the character. It is it, it's sports are not inherently transformational. That's the the lie is oh I just put them in sports and it's going to be you know transformational for them. Really, it's going to be a, no. I I've met a lot of adults that have had. Tr- awful traum- traumatic traumas in their life through sports and it tra- sports have not been a transformational experience they learned a lot of um in the ends justifies the means behaviors and there's books that have been written by people that have trained really successful people that are out there saying the ends justifies the means and i'm like you realize that was hitler's philosophy right um it, it's it's not okay like and so yeah i just i i want us to to use our sport to become more the type of people that we want to become. And, um, and I think that by focusing on that mission, regardless of what, you know, sport it is that we play, that that will help us in that endeavor.
2: Can you, can you give That's us an, an example, example of, a, like of a volleyball player's mission statement, statement or basketball, basketball that you, you found was?
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't want to say that it, that it's good, but, you know, for for example, so with uh, with Iowa volleyball, Bonchimansky is a good friend of mine and client, and and we actually did like a workshop, and we workshopped through, you know, with some of his kids. Like they told me like some of the stuff that they're passionate about. Okay, so what would a mission be, and um, and we just tried to to work through it, and and it's it's hard. to to do this and I and I don't even know if I have any you know great examples that I can give you because it's it, it takes time it's a it's a process whenever I first you know started this it was I asked myself what I would do if money didn't matter and so all of a sudden that changed the path that I went on because my whole you know path and process up to that point had been go to law school and so everything had been set up i'd taken the lsat i you know got a communications degree from vanderbilt i was working on my master's at duke i'd done all my classwork i had like a for the first time in my life i did really good at duke and had like a three nine and um but then when i asked myself that question what would i do if money didn't matter it was like shoot i wouldn't go to law school i would serve people and so I skipped scholarships to law school and I moved across the country into a homeless shelter downtown here in Los Angeles and at the Dream Center and I lived there for six months and then through practicing that, it was like, okay, so I'm going to focus on love people and serve people. And then, you know, through practicing that and experimenting with that, it then further developed into love people, serve people, provide value. And, you know, I, I think that it it doesn't really matter what somebody's mission is. I mean, it could be to, you know, inspire people through sport. It could be, you know, to, um, you know, inspire hope. It could be, I don't know. There's, there, there's so many things that you can do. It's just I don't ever want it to be, and what I always focus on with the kids is, like, make sure that whatever your mission is, that if you got hit by a car or if if basketball or volleyball or golf or whatever the thing that you want to do is gone that you'd still be able to do it if you got benched if you got you know whatever that thing is make sure that you would still be able to do it and so typically it's you know it's it's much more of Getting in the trenches with them and hearing, okay, what is it that that you're really passionate about? What do you really care about? And and oftentimes it's still very outcome oriented because that's how they've been conditioned all growing up. And then we try and work through getting closer to something that's a 100% controllable um, mission in that process. Sorry, that doesn't really answer
0: the no, question no, no, and okay. give
2: great
1: examples, but
0: Sean, you have to work through it. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was gonna be like an easy uh, yeah. path to mastery. <laughs> That was part one with Joshua Medcalf. We have a lot more to talk about, so come back next week for part two. And if you haven't done so already, be sure to grab Joshua's book, Chop Wood, Carry Water. All right, this is part two of our conversation with Joshua Medcalf on his book, Chop Wood, Carry Water. <laughs> Catch to record Quarter Podcast. Shh. In the book, the sensei tells John that um, uh, nothing is a test. Can you go into what that means and, I guess, how we should view challenges that we face?
1: So the way that I'll answer this question is with a story. Um, five years ago, I was in San Diego for New Year's Eve, and I ended up getting into uh, multiple altercations, the last of which was at about three o'clock in the morning when all the venues let out at the Hard Rock Hotel, and half our group gets on the elevator, the other half of us um, miss it. There's this huge group, huge rush of people that are trying to get on the elevators, and All of a sudden, I think I hear somebody say the most derogatory racist phrase that I've ever heard, and I'm like, there's no way I heard this. So I kind of like scan the room, and sure enough, there's only two African Americans, my two friends, one's pulling the other one away by the neck from where I heard it come from. So I've never really been the one to run from the drama or shit, so I just run straight into it, and sure enough, I hear the guy say it again, F that N-word. And I sized the guy up really quickly, you know, five ten, my build. I could probably take the guy in a fight. And so I said something along the lines of, Are you freaking kidding me? Apparently he wasn't, and maybe I substituted a word, I don't know, it was late at night, I had a couple drinks, and he jabs me in the nose real quick. And so again, like I was six two. I am six two. I was a division one athlete. I could take a punch. Um But what I failed to do is I failed to look past the little guy. And behind the little guy is the largest group of men that I've ever seen to this day. Guys that were, you know, 6'3 to 6'9, 240 to 290 pounds and just completely jacked. Some of the largest human beings around. Like these were guys that like they must have created CrossFit for. Like it's just stupid. And so apparently I think one of them must have played a lot of Mortal Kombat growing up. Because I'm sitting there, you know, a little bit dizzy and, you know, my eyes are a little bit watering, kind of wobbly. Did you guys play Mortal Kombat growing up? So you remember at the end of the scene, and finish him. Uh, Well, basically, I was there at the end, wobbling a little bit, and that guy must have heard, you know, finish him. Thankfully, it was one of the small guys. He was real small, like 6'4, 240 pounds. Hits me with a haymaker that splits my entire face wide open, blood's gushing everywhere eventually i get cleaned up and i really felt like i was fine my friends didn't feel the same way they're like we need to take you to the hospital and i was like guys i'm fine it's a broken nose like uh, i'll live and they're like yeah you didn't see the way your face exploded when that dude hit you and so i go to the hospital with them and i'm sitting in the hospital bed and it's this really interesting time for me I've been the director of mental training at UCLA for about a year and I'm feeling a lot like a fraud and a phony and I should just quit and give up and go get a real job. And that's very much that fixed mindset, that's everything is a test, you either pass or you fail and that's how I've lived the majority of my life is that everything was a test. Nothing was an opportunity to learn and grow. That's just the BS that people that don't get results talk about. And that's how I had lived up until that point. And I had been really trying to implement Carol Dweck's work of, you know, mindsets into my life. And I realized this is going to be the best opportunity that you get in a really long time to live this out in a practical way. Everything inside of me was screaming that you're a fake, you're a fraud, you failed the test. And so I looked over at my two friends and I said, I'm really glad that this happened. I believe that it was in my best interest and an opportunity to learn and grow. And they were like, we took you to the wrong hospital, <laughs> we need to take you to the psych ward, like how in the world is this in your best interest, like you, you know, your nose is over in Egypt, man, like this, is this was awful, like this is, this is the worst thing that could have happened, and I think that the truth is that, you know, most likely everybody that's listening to this podcast or watching this video would be at the age where we all know that life punches every single one of us in the face and hopefully it's not by somebody 6'4", 240 pounds in San Diego but you know it's it's maybe when you pull your brother out of the pool. It's maybe whenever you're um, you know you find out that your wife is leaving you or maybe it's whenever a loved one gets cancer. or Maybe it's you know a, a myriad of, of things that can happen in life but life punches all of us in the face and at that point we have the option, we have the opportunity to determine the meaning of that event. We're the only people that get to decide. We're the only creatures on earth that get to decide what events mean to us. And so, if we're the ones that create the rules in that situation, why would we do anything other than say and believe that this is in my best interest and an opportunity for me to learn and grow through this experience? Because at that point, there's nothing else we can do. If I had a rewind button, I would go back, I would do things differently. But I can't do that. And so all I can do is, um, is determine what that event means to me. And that's what I did. And, and that's, what I, that's what I really believe is that if we'll adopt that growth mindset instead of looking at everything like a test and really start to believe that anything that happens to me today is in my best interest and an opportunity for me to learn and grow, how do you stop that person? How do you stop that team? How do you stop that community? How do you stop that organization if they could really adopt that mindset? And I think that the the short answer is you can't. And but if it's a test, if it's if everything that you're doing is a test, A that that is a that is a miserable draining way to do life, but B I I think it it grossly gets in the way of us actually coming close to fulfilling our potential.
2: Thanks for sharing that story. Another good one gave it a, a good visual to your uh, your work your words there so um, my team at Loyola Marymount uh, we have a beach and indoor team I coach the beach side but um, b- the girls play both sports they uh, we read the book as a team and it, it made a big impact and I asked them to send in some questions so uh, just to end here I have a couple from them if you don't mind answering uh, the first one is from Veronica Nederend from she's from Tipton California and she asks, how do you suggest athletes to be able to move on quickly or reset their minds for the next moment rather than dwelling on past mistakes?
1: So this is kind of an interesting one. It's a great question, Veronica. And I got asked a similar question yesterday about, you know, how do you deal with fear and how do you deal with worrying about what other people think? And I think oftentimes that the mistake really isn't that big of a deal the reason why it becomes a big deal is because we're so worried about what other people think about it we're so worried about the impact that it has on our teammates or our coaches or you know all the work that we've put in but we're avoiding the 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 present moment but the answer that i had yesterday that i'm i'm glad i get the opportunity to share again today is because i've never really heard this i hear a lot of people say that i don't care what people think that whenever they watch the way that I live my life or they interact with me, they're like, oh, it must be easy for you. You just don't care what other people think. And it's always been really strange to me because I've known deep down inside that as much as I would like to believe that, I desperately care what people think. The big difference about me is that I don't allow what other people think to drive my behavior. And I think that that's where the freedom lies is that even if you really do care what other people think, you can't allow it to actually drive your behavior it can't be the driving force behind your behavior and when when you free yourself up that way then it allows you to move on quicker because it's like yeah people are going to think what they're going to think and I mean, you don't have to look that far uh, to see that. I mean, goodness gracious, the most loved player in, in the NBA is Steph Curry by far, and the President of the United States just disinvited him to the White House. So like, at, you know, at the end of the day, you're going to have people that are going to criticize you, you're going to have people that are going to come at you, um, no matter what. And so it's, it's again, it's shifting that mindset from it being a test to just, This is an opportunity to learn and grow. And quite frankly, I think the the perspective of just playing, like we've lost the joy of playing. Like we've made everything. We've put, you know, beach volleyball and winning tournaments and these things on such pedestals that we've forgotten that like we just love to play. And yeah, we train hard and we love to compete. And like I'm the biggest competitor around. But if I get caught up in competing to the point that I'm not playing, then I'm most likely gonna get in my own way again. And so I think it's a, it's a combination of things, Veronica. It's understanding who you are and that your value comes from who you are and not from what you do. It's about adopting that growth mindset and believing that anything that happens to you is in your best interest and an opportunity to learn and grow. And it's acknowledging that, that you might care what other people think But that's not going to dictate the way that you actually live your life and your behaviors. And I think that will help you to, you know, operate more from a place of love and courage instead of fear and shame. And so, you know, like we talk about in Shopwood of that playing present, of constantly coming back to the present moment and being here now. And, you know, there's an exercise that's really helpful for that, you know, gratefulness, prayer and meditation that i think it's in chop i can't i can't remember if it's not it's something i do every morning but it's basically a mindfulness exercise and mindfulness has been shown in research after research after research to help us you know be able to be here now and be in the moment and so that's
0: what i would say veronica jess pritchard from corona california asks uh, how do you instill confidence in fellow teammates when they're lacking confidence you stop worrying
1: about confidence Confidence is this thing that everybody is chasing that's a feeling, and we got to stop chasing feelings because the truth is that there are days where we're going to get up and we're going to feel like shit. There are days when we're going to swing and the ball is not going to be going where we want it to go. What we need to do is, like your friend Trevor Reagan talks about, we need to train ugly. We need to train really hard. We need to train so hard. We need to make training in those environments that we've been through so challenging that when we get to competition that we can operate with conviction not confidence and conviction comes from actually having done the hard stuff from having done the work from having gone through tough things just the other day i was in adrian college and i had had a uh uh, been arguing with my girlfriend until three o'clock in the morning, East Coast time and I uh, had gotten into the East Coast at 1:30 in the morning and then I needed to be up five hours later and had seven hours worth of presentations to give that day. And so I got up and I've never felt worse than I did that morning. I don't know why. Maybe it's a combination of everything, but I felt like crap. And then I get to the event and I open my backpack, I was three minutes late, open my backpack to pull out my notebook. I have a a large notebook that has uh, every talk pretty much that I've given for the last four years and the squares that I use to kind of jog my memory and my notebook isn't in my backpack. And I still feel like crap. And I had options. I knew that it had to be in the rental car But I walked over to the podium, and I began. And it was one of the best talks that I've ever given. And I was not concerned with how I felt. We give way too much care and concern to our feelings. And we don't spend enough time and energy on seeking out hard, tough stuff to where, in that moment, you can step up and go, none of that matters. I don't care how I feel. And the cool part is that by the end, I actually felt pretty good (laughs) because I acted my way into a feeling instead of letting feelings drive my actions. And so, but that also comes from every time that I've experienced a tough situation when it comes to speaking, I've embraced it. When I've been in a 700 seat auditorium and there's people sitting all the way at the back and there's only, you know, 150 people in the room and the microphone goes out. I don't say, sorry guys, your AV went out. I'm done. Cut my check and I'm out of here. I continue without a microphone. And then whenever the lights go out and there's no microphone, I tell everybody, if you'll quiet down, I'll keep going. (laughs) And I just, I, I embrace those environments. I love when that stuff happens. I'm seeking that stuff out. When I, um, uh, what do you call it? Whenever you do somebody's wedding, you uh, officiate. (laughs) I officiated one of my best friend's weddings and I'd never done that before. And so I took my script into the bathroom beforehand and I brought in all the groomsmen and I said, you can do anything to me that you want besides, you know, like physically harming me. As I run through this, I want you to do everything you can do to distract me. I want my training to be more challenging than the actual environment that I'm going to be in. And the more that we seek that out, the more that we seek out those tough environments, the more that we seek out those challenges, then we can actually operate with conviction instead of this artificial maturity that a lot of this next generation that's coming up, that I'm slightly a part of, but it's getting worse and worse of kids that, you know, have seen a lot and know a lot but that actually haven't been through tough stuff and if you really want conviction it comes through tackling that it comes through seeking out really hard shit and stuff that scares the piss out of us and going and doing it again and again and again and again until the fear subsides and and we we start to be able to operate with that conviction of i've been here i'm good and that's very different than a feeling feelings come and go some days I feel really confident. Other days I don't feel confident at all, but I can always lean back on the conviction that comes from having tackled really hard stuff.
2: We have one from Aaron Mansfield, who's the head, head coach for our team, but you actually answered it. It's about the mission. So sorry, Aaron. Um, so, okay. <laughs> sorry, Aaron. <laughs> yeah. uh, but you can, you can go back. You heard the answer. Uh, so one from Michaela Ferris from Chandler, Arizona. She says achievement and recognition are a huge part of our culture, especially in athletic performance. What's your advice to athletes who are struggling with maintaining a focus on self-fulfillment and satisfaction while also balancing the pressures of maintaining a scholarship based on athletic performance?
1: First thing I would do is I would ask your coach if your scholarship is actually based off of your athletic performance. And at some schools, it is. I've been in programs where that's what kids have believed for four years, and whenever they have actually... Uh, Spoken that out loud to their coach, their coach has been in tears because that's not at all how they feel. Um, And so this almost fake pressure has been coming from internal, even though it felt like it was coming from external sources, because you are right. There's a lot of external sources that are saying that's what it should be but if we're not careful that voice is actually coming from ourself and not from the people that we think that it's coming from uh if it is coming from the you know the coach then then now you actually know that and then you can make decisions you know from there you know if you're a uh you know if you're a young kid that's deciding what, where to go and what program to go to i think one of the big issues is that uh we actually create self self self-fulfilling prophecies in this way that we're trying to get to the school that has the biggest name that has the biggest recognition that isn't the best fit for us and then we get there and then it it, we should have actually gone and played someplace else where it would be a much better fit
2: like Loyola marymount
1: (laughs) potentially yes um you know, and it's different for everybody. There's kids at Loyola Marymount's where they should play and there's other kids that should go play at, you know, uh, some school that a lot of people haven't even heard of. And, you know, I've had a few clients recently that have done this, that they've had offers from the best schools and they've chosen to play at schools I've never heard of. But they always tell me, they're like, it's a better fit. I've talked to the coach. I've spent the time and it's a better fit. And, and that's so important. And so I, I, I think just getting a better understanding of what the situation actually is and make sure that you're not making something up in your, in your head, because with most of the kids and most of the programs that I work with, and then I see that is actually coming from the individual. It's not coming from the coaching staff. And does the coaching staff care about, Winning and does the coaching staff care about achievement? Uh, Absolutely, there's 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 no doubt about that. But I think that a a good portion of the people that are in coaching out there actually really do care, especially in, in in female sports, where you know when you're talking about men's basketball and men's football, it's a it's a tricky thing. They are they are full on businesses women's sports in this country and and, in college are not revenue driving you know businesses so i I think that it's it's still a lot more pure and there are there are so many people there are so many amazing people that yes they care about winning but they really care about you know young men and women that are becoming the type of people that are equipped to be the type of citizens and members of the community and fathers and daughters and uh Husbands and wives, and leaders, and and, and business people, and you know, and and coaches, and just so many different things that they will do that uh, are the type of people that they want them to become. They want them to be equipped for life, and I think that's important to find out, and then you can make a decision from there. But don't live in some fake world and find out down the road that that's not at all what the person that was leading you was actually um, focused on or was there expectation for you?
2: Yeah, I'm her coach, and that's not my expectation. So I hope that helps. Uh, so we got one more question. Um, it's from Michaela as well, same, same girl. Uh, and we'll end with this one. She, she says, I've been searching for my own daily routine. Chopping wood and carrying water seems to be a little out of place here in the big city. I would love any suggestions for some daily exercises. And do they have to be physical?
1: I think, Michaela, that it, it comes down to, you know, you've got to make a decision on, you know, you know yourself better than anybody else. And, you know, I would suggest that you look at, you know, what you read, what you watch, what you listen to, who you surround yourself with, how you talk to yourself, what you visualize, that fuel for your heart that we talk about in Chopwood Carry Water, and, and really start there. And then I I think the other thing that's that's been, you know, tremendously valuable in in a lot of people's lives is gratefulness prayer and meditation it's how i try keyword try to start my day every day which is um you know a lot of people know the benefits or have heard of the benefits of mindfulness or meditation but they they tell me it's really hard for me to do and so whenever we're in the shower our brainwaves already slow down to more of a meditative state And then if you sit down, it's even greater and you don't have distractions. We live in a in a world where we're so hyper distracted um, and conditioned to, you know, stimuli all over the place that that's the one place where we can actually have our brain slow down. And so I sit down and I just thank God for all the little things in my life, you know. Uh, clean drinking water, which almost a billion people don't have across the world, the ability to walk, talk, and feed myself, things that my little brother can't do. Uh, if anything hurts on my body, I thank God for that. And just really try and create this heart posture of of gratitude and focusing on um, just how amazing it is to be able to, to to walk. And, you know, like you you look at the floods from... Uh, Houston and one thing I kept hearing in interviews is people saying I just wish that you know we could just have normal back I just want normal back if you had interviewed those people a month ago they would have most likely said that they hate normal and that they're sick and tired of normal we're really bad (laughs) as human beings about not being grateful for what we have until it's gone and so really creating that heart posture of of gratitude and then just from there, slipping more into what people would probably consider actual mindfulness training, which is just spending two or three minutes observing your thoughts and not judging them. And then the final piece that, that I try and do, uh, especially if I have you know a really big speaking engagement or some challenging situation coming up, is visualizing myself at my best in that thing. Or overcoming that obstacle whatever that obstacle might be so using visualization as well so it goes from gratitude to mindfulness to you know some form of beneficial and constructive visualization and that daily practice from almost every person that i've asked to do that whenever they've implemented that has has found that to be incredibly helpful in their life
2: good way to end it
0: Yeah, thank you so much. Um, Thanks for writing the book and for obviously coming on and and sharing with us so many personal stories. Uh, How can people find you on Twitter, your website?
1: Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Joshua Medcalf with a D-M-E-D. On Instagram, at Real Joshua Medcalf. Our website is t2bc.com. You can Google Joshua Medcalf or Train to Be Clutch, either one, and they should pop up. And yeah, those are the best
0: places. Great. All our listeners have already read the book. But uh, if you haven't, we suggest you do so, and uh, or check out one of your other books. I'm looking forward to reading those as well.
2: Yeah, thanks for dealing with the uh, moths flying around and the, <laughs> the planes <laughs> overhead. No,
0: I'm I'm really grateful
1: that you guys accommodated me and we did it live, yeah. and so thank you guys so much for having
0: me. I really Got appreciate sort of your time zone. <laughs> yeah, John's usually in his boxers. So. Yeah. <laughs>